Thank you so much. You're very kind. Thank you very, very much. You may be seated. You know, as Pastor and I were talking, I, uh, uh, I, I felt like that I should do this message because he asked me to do a bit of telling your story. And, and really, this message is my life story. I'm known around America, not only as a pastor, but really was originally known as a guy who ministered to kids. And I had a kids TV show. I couldn't go anywhere in the States during the later 80s and the early 90s without kids recognizing me because we had so much market penetration in television everywhere. We went to every major city with uh, exception of two. I never made it to Milwaukee or Salt Lake City, but every other city in America of any size we went to, and most of them at least a half dozen times and some as many as a dozen. And we packed out auditoriums like this one, and there were loads of people who would come, and we had an amazing time changing the lives of children and families, and we affected a lot of churches. So I want to share with you how it all got started, what drove me, what motivated me, and what I believe really is a great motivation for churches to take with them, because I think that this message is going to determine whether churches continue on. I don't believe that God wants a church to be strong for just a few years. I think it needs to go for multi-generations. You know, the Bible says that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What that means is this, this continues. In the New Testament, the Apostle John said, I write unto you old men because you're wise, young men because you're strong, and young people because you've overcome the evil one. And so he talks to three generations. The idea is that God always wants his church to be multi-generational. Multicultural is great. Multi-campus, love that too. But the best of them all is to be multi-generational, where that we have a church that just keeps going generation after generation. And you know what? It doesn't happen automatically. Because all the churches that we've seen come before this, many have failed and many have only been strong for a single generation and they forgot something and they forgot a very important part of who they were and what they were meant to be. And so I want to share with you from the book of Matthew where Jesus had a ministry always to the next generation and I call this when Jesus had a children's ministry. You know, when I first began to travel, I told the Lord, Lord, I, I, I have a mission. I've got to tell people about reaching kids. But most of these people that I go to, most of these churches, they're Bible people. They want to see it in the Bible. If it's not in the Bible, they're not going to buy it. And God, I've got to tell you, I don't see any puppet shows in the Bible. I don't see that anybody did what I do. I don't see anybody dressed up like some kind of a character. I just don't see that anybody did that in the Bible. So how am I going to do this? Peter and John didn't do puppets. I don't see that anywhere in the scriptures. And so what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? And I heard the Holy Spirit say to my heart, and the Lord Jesus, of course, was speaking and, and the Holy Spirit relaying the message. He said, I had a children's ministry. And if you read the book of Matthew, you'll find it. So I set out through the book of Matthew and started in chapter 1, begin to read, and I began to mark down every story that I could find that had something to do with kids. And so I want to show you the first one, and it's found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. And the Bible says, While he spake these things unto them, Matthew nine eighteen, Behold, there came a certain ruler, and he worshipped Jesus. And he said, My daughter is even now dead, but if you come and lay your hand on her, she will live. And Jesus arose, and he followed this man, and so did his disciples. The story's interrupted for just a few moments, but if we skip down to verse 23, the Bible says that when Jesus came to this ruler's house, he saw the minstrels, the professional mourners. They were there making noise. He said to them, get out of here. The maid is not dead. The little girl's not dead, but she's asleep. 
And they laughed him to scorn. But when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand, and the maid arose. You know, I want to tell you what this story teaches me. And that is that kids have real problems. You know, a lot of churches ignore the next generation because they don't believe that children have real problems. They think that somehow children are insulated from temptation or they're insulated and protected from oppression. But you know, nothing could be further from the truth. You know, when I was a little kid, my folks split up when I was about nine years old. And I went to church with my grandmother after my mother moved us from the small town where we lived, where my dad was somewhat of a local celebrity, and where we were accepted everywhere we went. And we moved back into this big city and moved into a government housing project. We were very poor. We had very little money. Mother struggled to make it back into the workplace. And she went to a doctor, and the doctor told her that if she would have a beer or two in the evening before she went to bed, that it would calm her down and soothe her nerves. But my mother couldn't handle that. And within just a few months, she was a complete alcoholic. I almost never saw my mother sober. It took about an hour for her to get drunk as she came home from work. And all through the evening, she would be drunken and well into the night. And then she was functioning, though. The next morning, she'd get up around 5.30. She'd get herself ready. She'd go to work. But we never got to see the best of her. We only saw her when she was drunk. I remember one day, I was about 10 or one evening, uh, she came to the edge of the bedroom, and she looked inside, and she said, I don't know what's going to happen when these boys wake up and find me dead in the morning. I jumped out of the bed. I ran down the hall to the bathroom where she had gone, and I could hear her sliding down the door on the other side. And I said, Mama, why did you say that? She said, I took a bottle of sleeping pills. Now, we didn't have a telephone. My grandparents lived a couple of miles away. This is on the north side of Fort Worth, Texas, which was a pretty rough part of town. I went in and put my jeans on. I, I, I didn't feel like I had time to put on shoes. I didn't have time to put on shirt. I just put on jeans, and I raced out the door, and I went to my grandparents' house. And I beat on the door in the middle of the night, and I told them what had happened. And they took me back to the house, and the ambulance met us there. And I remember going to the charity hospital in downtown Fort Worth, and I remember standing there as a 10-year-old with my little brother hovered beside me, who was six. And, and we were waiting to hear what would happen. We could hear our mother gagging as they pumped her stomach. And finally, they came out and said, she's going to be okay. A few weeks later, I came home from school. And the apartment was cold and dark, as it always was. But this day was different. There was something not right. And as I looked on the floor, there were blood drops all over the place. And I followed them into the bathroom where it got worse and worse. And I went down the hall, and there in the bathtub were traces of blood everywhere. I didn't know what was happened or what had happened, and no one was home. I didn't understand what this meant. I was really afraid. And about an hour later, my grandmother comes by to get me, and she says, Honey, your mother's sick. Well, mother wasn't sick. That day she tried to slit her wrist with razor blades. And so this is what went on in my life over and over again. You know, people think that kids don't have real problems. And when I went to church, I would ask my grandmother, Grandma, how can I know that I'm going to heaven? How can I know that I get to go to heaven when I die? And she said, Honey, just believe in God. But that was so general. I said, Grandma, I believe in God, but no one would tell me what to do. You see, that church, even though they believed in the Bible, didn't think that a 10-year-old could understand how to know Christ because they thought that I needed to be older. And you know, so many people have that crazy idea that you can't really know anything about God till you become an adult. 
And isn't it horrible that kids get exposed to all these different things in the world, drugs and pornography and filthy language and bad habits and get pressured to join gangs? All these kinds of things are thrown on our children, but yet at the same time, we think that they don't have real problems. You know, this little girl in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, she had a real problem. She was dead. And what we see is that Jesus immediately stepped into her life and he solved the real problem. Kids have real problems, and don't you ever forget it. And that's the first thing that Jesus wants to show us is that he wants to meet the needs of kids who have those real problems. Then we go to the second story, which is in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10. And this reveals to us the understanding that God has of the nature of reaching kids. Here's Jesus, and he says in verse 42, Whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water, only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever worked in children's ministry, if you know anything about working with kids, you know that there's an element of children's ministry that's different than ministry to adults. You see, in children's ministry, we sometimes have to change diapers. In children's ministry, we have to get kids a drink of water. In children's ministry, we have to give out some snacks. And sometimes if the service goes long, and I've been a part of some long services down through the years, we not only gave out snacks, we brought in McDonald's hamburgers that went so long. But uh, in children's ministry, you have to do things you, you don't normally do. I was at a church doing the ministry to children years and years ago in Denver, Colorado, and we had the place packed with kids, and there was no room to walk. And right in the middle of the middle section in this aisle that had like 30-some-odd seats across it, there was a little kid who got hot and got sick and just threw up right in the middle of my service. And I've just given the invitation for people to receive Jesus, and right there in the middle of kids praying, it's... And, and, You know, kids are not the least bit gracious at all. And this one little boy hollers out, Oh, it's on my shoe! And and so it made it a little bit difficult to minister, you know, when that was going on. But that's kids' ministry. Welcome to Children's Church. And when when we minister to kids, we got to go through all this stuff. And this is what God says. Jesus said, If you give even a cup of cold water, And by the way, that word water is in italics in your King James Bible, which means that that word didn't appear in the original text. It means cold cup. I think it's Kool-Aid. If you give a cup of cold Kool-Aid to a little child, you'll not lose your reward. And here's what he was saying. He was saying, you know, I see everything you do for these little guys. There's real reward for ministry to kids. You know, that's important because this is not something that adults do by nature. People who work with children have to have an idea hit them from heaven in order to do it because we do not naturally want to be involved with working with kids. I know when I first gave my heart to Christ at age 17, I went to go move in with my uncle who was a pastor of a church, and he had me help him with the vacation Bible school program, and the lady who was directing it was uh, leading the kids in a line from the city park to our church, and, and uh, we would had a, a great day that day, and as I was helping to lead kids, she said, Willie, you know, you'd be great with kids. And when I looked at her, I thought, you know what, that's the biggest insult you could ever give to me. 
because you don't think I can do it in real ministry. You think that I'm Mickey Mouse. You think that the only thing that I can do is do something with kids. And I was offended that she said that. But how later on I began to understand my own heart and the hearts of so many people who look down on children's ministry, who don't think that kids are real people, that somehow they don't become real people till they hit, what, what is it, 21, 18? When do we become real people? Well, in God's eyes, we're real people from the womb. And little bitty kids who uh, nobody values in many cases, those kids are really precious in the eyes of God. Jesus said, you will in no wise lose your reward. You know, if you get a reward for giving a kid a cup of cold Kool-Aid, how much more do you get for changing a diaper? (laughs) Do you know that when we get to heaven, there are going to be some nursery workers who have golden pampers framed (laughs) on their... on their mansion wall. And it's just going to say underneath, and as much as you've done it unto the least of one of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. You know, Billy Graham will not have a golden pamper on his mansion wall because in all the great ministry that he's done, he's never changed a diaper for Jesus. But we have nursery workers and people who have given their Sundays off and their time out of the service. In fact, we have them this very day who have sacrificed in order to allow you to come into this room without having to care for your children. Now, I'm telling you, there's a tremendous reward. There is real reward. Kids have real problems, but there is real reward for ministry to them. And that's when I see Jesus saying here in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10. Let's go to the third place in the book of Matthew, chapter 15. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15, then Jesus went there, verse 21, and he came into the coast of Tyre and Sidon, just a little to the north of Israel. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same area, and she cried to him, and she said, Have mercy on me, O Lord, you son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But Jesus would not answer her a word. And his disciples came, and they begged him. They said, Send her away. She's bugging us. He answered and he said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So she came and she worshipped him and she said, Lord, help me. And he answered and he said, it's not right to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs. And she said, truth, Lord, but even the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it unto you even as you will. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. You know, this woman had no approach to the God of Israel. And Jesus was sent only to the children of Israel. His ministry would eventually go to the whole world. And he would release his apostles to go to everybody. But for that moment in time, his ministry was confined to the Jewish people in the land of Israel. That's to whom he was sent. And so Jesus said to the woman, I can't help you. And she said, but please, Lord. And he he compared it to a a, a pet at the table. He said, you never feed the pets until you first take care of the children in the household. But this woman was so persistent, and she came back with an answer that Christ had to recognize as being inspired by the Holy Spirit. And she said, you know, I won't argue with that. But she said, but don't the pets get a chance to eat a crumb which which falls from the master's table? When Jesus heard that, he knew she had great faith. You know, there were two people in the Bible that Jesus said to, you have great faith. Both of them were Gentiles. And this woman uh, had this tremendous faith, and her daughter was instantly healed. So she had real faith. You know, one of the things that I think is so important 
is that we as ministers of the gospel give kids an opportunity to have real faith. Kids are capable of understanding if we break things down in simple terms. It's just that we have to understand some things about kids. Kids have attention spans. They think differently than we do. They listen for about one minute for each year of age. If I've got a group of six-year-olds, I've got six minutes to tell my story or preach my message. That's it. Now, there's a problem with that because I've got maybe an hour that they're in my class. Well, that means that about every six minutes, I've got to jump into something new and different. Boy, when I first began to teach kids, I didn't know that. I thought I could play and sing a guitar and preach a 30-minute sermon and everything would be okay. But I had bus kids that we brought to church on buses, and, and I was forced into making big changes quickly because they didn't just not listen. They began to fight with each other. We had real accidents beginning to happen because I wasn't holding their attention. So I began to think of different ways I could have these kids uh, listen. I came up with this character. I rented a dog costume, and we called him Faith Dog. And Faith Dog would come in, and in the beginning, all he would do is stand and wave. i got to do more with Faith Dog. So what I did is I taught Faith Dog to bark. And I could understand German Shepherd. He would speak in German Shepherd, and I would interpret his story. And so he would come, and I would say, this week, Faith Dog was out walking down the road. And this big group of dogs came, and they they invited him to join their gang. And what kind of a gang did they have? They they, they stole gravy train from other dogs. They chased kids home from school. They ripped open plastic garbage bags. And these were really bad dogs, and they wanted you to join the gang? And what did you tell them? You told them you couldn't join the gang? What'd they say? They said they'd get you a brand new Hearts Mountain flea collar if you joined the game. So what'd you say? No way. And so you didn't join? No. And so what happened next? They said they'd give you a bag of gravy train if you would join the gang. What'd you tell them? No way. You're not going to do it, huh? So what happened next? They said they'd get you a date with the cutest little French poodle in town if you would join the gang. So what'd you tell him? No way. No way. So what happened next? They said, we don't understand. Why don't you want to join our gang? What'd you tell him then? I can't join your gang. I can't join your gang. And the Bible says, because the Bible says, be not equally unbelievers. Be not equally, unequally yoked together with unbelievers. You know, that's amazing because... <laughs> That just happens to be what we're talking about today. And so I started noticing that when I would shift gears and teach like that, that that I could hold kids' attention. And I would always make sure that we got to a sermon. And and this sermon was always the most important part of the story. There was nothing silly about it. It was always very powerful, but very brief. And I remember one camp meeting where I was preaching to all the kids. I was teaching that evening on, on Jesus Heals. And I took a a leather whip. I'd never done this message before. In fact, I rushed down to a a saddle shop to to get leather straps. And I took this leather whip, and I took it in, and I talked about how they beat Jesus back so that we could be healed. And I found this little boy, and this is how long ago this was. He was uh, about 8 or 10 years old. And he was willing for a dollar bill to let me take his shirt off and smear fake blood on his back. Actually, my wife did it behind the stage. 
And I brought him back there, and I started hitting just as soon as I brought him behind the curtain. Kids could see me, but they couldn't see what I was hitting. And I was actually beating a chair, and I laid a microphone in that chair, and I was beating the daylights out of that chair. And I'd talk about how they beat Jesus back. Well, they thought I was hitting the little boy, and a few minutes later, we brought him out and had the blood on his back. And, and I said, see, they beat Jesus up like this, and he took stripes on his back so we could be healed. And I said, now, some of you came tonight, and you're sick, and I want to pray for you. And so we had about 60 kids come forward for prayer. And a couple, I, I had so many kids, I couldn't pray for them all. So my children's church was there, and I had some little kids in my children's church that were just great in praying. So I said, you guys help me. And so they kept motioning me over to the side, and they, they said, we need your help. And I said, what is it? They said, she's deaf. And there was a little girl there, eight years old, red hair, I'll never forget as long as I live, who couldn't hear a word. Her brother had come with her to interpret. He was about 10. This little girl had never been able to hear. And I laid my hands on that little girl. That night, she was healed. God opened up her ears. The amazing thing was that she didn't hear a single word of my sermon, but she saw what I was doing. And through the interpreter, her brother, she was able to get the idea of what happened, and her faith was built to be healed. See, what I want you to see is that God wants us to be able to minister faith to kids. And when we teach kids, they can develop faith just like anybody else. Kids can have real faith, real problems, real rewards, and real faith. Now I want to turn you to another story, and this one's found in the Gospel of Matthew 18. And the Bible says, I'm sorry, Matthew 17. The Bible says, when they were come from the multitude, the Bible says a certain man came to Jesus kneeling, and he said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's lunatic and sore vexed. Oftentimes he falls into the fire and off into the water. I brought him to your disciples, and they couldn't cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. I want to tell you what this story tells me. There's real opposition when it comes to reaching kids. Do you know that the greatest temptations that are being thrust on anyone in our society today are being thrown at our children? Do you know that through their cell phones, through the media, through the games that they play online, through the things that they're exposed to at school, they get tempted far more than you adults would ever imagine. Most parents are not at all aware of the things that are coming at their kids. And Satan doesn't like to let go of children easily. You know, when Moses went to Pharaoh and he told the leader of Egypt, God wants you to let his people go, and Pharaoh said this, I will let you go but you must leave all your children behind. And that's the attitude of the kingdom of darkness. They will settle for a group of people to leave the kingdom, but they don't want to give up the kids. And it ought to be our attitude that we're going to fight for children, and we're going to have churches that we make sure that our kids have an opportunity to come and to see and to know about Christ. There is real opposition. That means that there are going to be times when you may not see the money it may be difficult for you to come up with all the finances that you need to be able to reach the kids because I'm going to tell you something. Kids don't bring large sums of money to church. And for that reason, there's some people that totally ignore them. But I got news for you. God blesses kids, and he blesses people who reach them. And it takes me to the next story, Matthew 18. 
The scripture says at the same time, in verse 1, came the disciples to Jesus, and they said, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him, and he set the child in the midst of them. And he said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name, receiveth me. Now, you know, in all the ministry of Jesus, he never one time brought an adult over to a group of children and said, boys and girls, you have to receive the kingdom of heaven like this big guy right here. Because if you don't, you can't enter in. But you know that Jesus did the opposite. He told the adults, you've got to learn to throw yourself on God's mercy just like a little child throws himself on his parents. Let me tell you what this means. Kids have real conversion, and they're capable of knowing the Lord. They may not know everything there is to know about God, but they're capable of having a real experience with Christ. You know, we don't know, even as adults, everything we're getting when we come to the Lord Jesus. So we shouldn't expect kids to have all the answers either. They grow in their faith. And he said, you receive Christ like a little child. Let me tell you what kids know. Kids know grace. My kids would come and ask me for an ice cream cone when it looked like a tornado had just gone through their bedroom. That is a good understanding of grace. And that's precisely the way we're to approach the Lord. You know, we want to tell God about all of our successes and all the reasons we deserve His blessing and why we should get this and why we should do that. We've been going to church for this long and we've been doing this and helping over here and volunteering here. And we often preface our prayers with those qualifications. But that's not how a child does any of this. A child completely and always throws himself onto the grace of his parents. He understands, I have a relationship, and I'm going to milk that relationship. And that's why I can ask for your help. And that's what we see. And by the way, Jesus said, if you receive a little child, you receive me. You know, when I first started my church, there were a lot of people who laughed because I was the kid's guy. In fact, one pastor even told me, he said, I can see what happens now. You bring the whole church into the auditorium, and at the end of the praise and worship, you turn all the kids loose, and you go teach them, and you leave somebody else to teach the grown-ups. And it was kind of a put-down, what he was saying, but nobody's laughing anymore. Our church is perhaps the biggest church in our state. In one location, it certainly is. We sometimes have over 20,000 people. We had an outreach a couple of years ago and had right at 80,000 people at our church and in our ministries. And so we've made a big impact in our region. But the thing that I want you to see is God has blessed us in spite of the fact that we have a huge population of kids. We have defied what many of the experts would say because they would tell you that kids don't have money. But listen to me. When they don't, God takes care of it. Jesus said, when you receive a little kid, you receive me. You can have Jesus in your church every Sunday. Now, he may walk in in tennis shoes, and he may have holes in his jeans, and his breath may not smell the greatest, and he may not behave the best, but you can have Jesus at your church every week. I know a lot of pastors who think the key to building a great church is to get the best great speaker or the best public speaker, the best preacher, or the best evangelist to come to their church. But I'm going to tell you something. There's nobody any greater than Jesus. And when a church says, we're going to reach the next generation, we're going to invest in children, there is no payback in the world that you can imagine that's greater than that. 
I launched a ministry in 1985 called 180 because we were, 19, actually 95, called 180 because we were failing to reach our teenagers. And in a very short time, we had something on the order of 2,000 teenagers every Wednesday night in our church. And it was a real burden on us. In fact, uh, it, it, we had to keep renting more space, and, and we had to come up with all kinds of things for these kids to do, and, and we had loads of buses. We, we sent out a bus to pick up a group of kids at a, at a house who'd gathered, and one bus wasn't enough. In fact, ultimately, we had to start sending seven buses to one house in one suburb of Tulsa to pick up all the teenagers that were coming in. And so I've got all these hundreds of teenagers, and they don't come with any money. But the largest real estate company in, in the Southwest called me just before Thanksgiving one year, and they said, Pastor George, we own 35 acres just north of your property, and we want to sell it. And I said, well, guys, that's great, but I'm in the middle of a campaign to build an auditorium for my church, and I really don't have the money right now. And they said, Pastor George, we want this property off our books by the end of the year. I said, well, that's great, guys, but, I, you know, I'd love to be able to have it, but I, I really have to build this auditorium. They said, Pastor George, you don't understand. Make us an offer. Okay. I prayed about it, and the Lord put it in my heart. Offer them $70,000 for 35 acres. That's 2,000 an acre. This is ridiculous. They took it. That 35 acres became the home of the new youth center I would build. And it was Jesus' way of paying me back for all those kids I reached. And he said, I'm going to see to it that you get what you need to be able to do what you've got to do. We have real conversion with kids, and there's a big change when we do it. The next thing I want you to see is the book of Matthew, the 19th chapter. Matthew's Gospel 19, verse 13, it says, Then there were brought unto him little children, that he should put his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Suffer little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them, and he parted thence. You know, I marvel at these 12 disciples, because Jesus has been talking about kids. He's been laying hands on kids. He's been ministering to kids. He's brought kids into the group and said, you have to receive the kingdom the way one of these guys does. He's raised kids from the dead. He's cast devils out of kids who were oppressing kids and killing them. And so Jesus did all of this stuff, and these guys are still not convinced that the kids are important. He said, of such is the kingdom of heaven. You let the kids come to me because this is what heaven's full of. Now, if I were to wave my hand over these three ladies here today and say, if such is the kingdom of heaven, what I'd be saying is, heaven's full of ladies. But Jesus didn't do that. He waved his hands over kids and said, heaven's full of children. Do you realize that when a baby is brought into the womb through conception, he is a spirit being? That little John the Baptist wasn't even born, but three months before he came out of his mother's womb, he leaped for joy when Mary came to visit his mother when he knew that the Messiah was next door. Now, how did John the Baptist know Jesus was next door in Mary's womb? How could he know that? He could only know that because he had a spirit. His mother prophesied and said, the child in my womb leaped for joy. Joy is a spiritual thing. It's not a, a mental thing, an emotional thing. It's spiritual. John had a spirit. When a little child is conceived and doesn't get the opportunity to be born, either through a miscarriage or perhaps through abortion, let me tell you what, he doesn't cease existing. He lives on forever. 
In a 10-year period, there are at least 1 billion children who leave planet Earth to go to be with Jesus in heaven. So I can tell you with all confidence today, there are more kids in heaven than there are any other age class. That's what Jesus said, of such is the kingdom of heaven. If you don't like kids, you will not like heaven. (laughs) This is the quietest world you'll ever live in. You know, when I read about heaven and I read how that the fruit is where the kids are going to be eating and and the fruit's down by the river, the tree of life, I'm thinking only God could think of something like that because you're not going to get kids far away from the swimming hole when it's time to eat. So God just put all the food right down there by the swimming hole. And to make it more interesting, he put it in the trees. Kids are going to come out of the swimming hole. They're going to climb trees. It never gets dark in heaven. Can you imagine shutting down one billion kids and saying it's time to go to sleep? It isn't going to happen. So... God created heaven with kids in mind. Now, some of you think I'm just fantasizing. I'm telling you it's the truth. You're going to be shocked when you go and you see how many kids are there. Millions and millions and millions out of every kindred and tribe and tongue of people around the world. And so there's a real eternity where real kids are. And then lastly... Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21. In Matthew 21, the Bible says that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And the Scripture says that he went on from the parade and he went into the temple. And in Matthew 21, 14, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were sore displeased. And they said, do you hear what these say? And Jesus said, yes, I hear. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, you have perfected praise? Now, this is interesting because they didn't stop Jesus from healing the sick. Blind eyes are being opened. People who were not able to walk were getting up and walking. But Jesus' enemies didn't say anything about that. They focused instead on the children praising God. Now, this is Satan speaking through these people. And it says to me that he's much more threatened by a generation of children coming to knowledge of God than he is by healings and miracles because people forget those right away. In any Christian ministry across America, if someone were healed and was able to walk out of a wheelchair, I can promise you that would be the front page story on next month's ministry magazine. But so often when little kids are taught to know God and praise the Lord, we overlook that as though it's not that important. But that's not what the devil does. He understands how critical it is when kids come to saving knowledge of Christ, and he's very much threatened by it. Now, Jesus said, through these children there is perfect praise. These kids knew real worship. It doesn't have to be the most beautiful thing in the world, but I have seen it so many times. Little kids who had their eyes closed and said, Thank you, Jesus, who didn't know very much about the things of God, but yet just in the quietest way lifted their hands and said, Thank you, Jesus. God calls that perfect praise because it's unpretentious. Mom and Dad were doing the same thing, saying the same words, but they had ulterior motives. They wanted the Messiah to go drive off the Romans. 
These kids didn't care if the Romans were driven off. They just wanted to be near Jesus, and they wanted to give him glory. I can tell you without fear of contradiction, seven different times in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus Christ ministered to the next generation. And of all the things that I could say to this church during my visit here with you, and I have told your pastor, I I believe that this church is special. I I get to go to a lot of churches, and I've spoken in lots of large churches, but I want to tell you this, this is a strategic church. And I don't want to see you last another 10 years. I want to see you go another 100. But the key is going to be, will you invest in your children? Will you see your children's ministries as valuable, vital? Will you always be flexible in the way you do service so that you welcome in the 20-somethings and the 30-somethings and that you're always known as a church that reaches down to the next generation? Because if you're willing to do that, you will always have a future. And may I say to you that that is the heartbeat of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what he would do. It's what he's doing. And unfortunately, many of God's people fail to grasp how important that concept of ministry is. I pray it not be the case with you. I understand that today I've preached about children. I've talked about kids coming to know Jesus. But you know, we're all kids in God's eyes. And it could be that there are some of you today who've never made that commitment to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to ask you to do it like a little child throwing himself upon the mercy of a good father. Would you bow your head with me? Dear Heavenly Father, today I pray that you would touch hearts by the precious Holy Spirit who's in this room. And if there are those who are here who do not know Christ, Help them to follow me with these simple words right now. And if you're here and you say, I don't know him, but I want to, would you pray with me out loud? And church, you believe in what they're doing. Let us do it together. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I believe you love me more than a father could love his own children. And you sent your son to die for me. He took all my sins And then you raised him from the dead. This I believe, and with my mouth I confess, Jesus Christ is my Lord. Thank you, Father, for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for allowing me the privilege.